Hey, welcome to A Thousand Miles to Light podcast. We are here with uh, two very diverse gentlemen. We have uh, Mr. Pat Farmer of uh, VB Twist Top Lid Statistic fame and uh, Sean Riggs. And apparently I asked Sean, it's an unusual name, like where did he get his name from? And his mum just pulled it out of a basket of names. It's actually Shan as in can. Not Sean. That is the first time Pat said that correctly. The entire time. <laughs> we baited him well. Do you know what? Do you, do you know what Pat's real name is? Uh, tell me, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what they called him, Patrick? Do you know what they called you, Patrick? Are we getting on with the podcast, or are we are we just clowning around here? Come on, let's get on with the show. <laughs> All right, there we go. So we're going to talk about um, tips and tricks, running technique, running styles, and, and some of the things that people wouldn't realise um, would be, I guess, effective training techniques. So we might kick off with Pat. Um, you've got three very interesting techniques that you've uh, witnessed amongst Team Australia. Maybe take us through some of those. Well, I have a number of very unique and interesting athletes on our team. Of course, we've got Justin McDonald from South Australia, Panola in South Australia, who's a very fast uh, um, um, 5K runner. Uh, we also have uh, Greta Truscott from Sydney. Uh, Greta heads up a, a company called Rejuve where she has uh, 250 a young and elderly athletes that she coaches every Saturday morning down at Centennial Park in Sydney. Uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, Deidre Hopkins. Uh, and Deidre is just a solid, tough nut, very, very hard uh, um, runner that never leaves anything outside of the track. She gives it her all every single time that she runs, which I don't know how she can possibly do that and keep backing up all the time, but she does. So with that in mind, uh, we went for a training run prior to this event, 1,000 Miles to Light, starting, uh, and I we were talking about nose breathing techniques and because it was the latest thing about five or ten years ago, everybody was talking about nose breathing to try and improve your breathing and your your heart rate and so many other different things, which I don't necessarily go along with. But then we started talking about, well, you know, so what, what do you do to try and help improve your lung capacity or your VO2 max? Uh, and I mentioned that I actually blow up large balloons and I use that for actually training and strengthening my lungs and my lung capacity, uh, which they thought was interesting. Uh, Greta then chimed in and said that she actually swims a lot, an incredible amount, and what she tries to do is hold her breath for as long as she possibly can underneath the water. But she said, never do this on your own, always do it with a buddy in case you do pass out because these are finely tuned athletes that are pushing themselves to the max and I wouldn't recommend that at home. Uh, number three, Deidre. Deidre will take a swig of water uh, when she's doing hill work and she'll really punish herself on the hills uh, and try not to breathe through her mouth by and try not to swallow the water or try not to spit the water out. So consequently, it forces her to breathe through her nose. So, yeah, just interesting little quirky things about them. I've got a million different things about blisters and bruises and all sorts of other stuff, but I thought the whole lung capacity thing was a great thing to chat about tonight. What do you make of that, Sean? Have you heard any of those or, or have your own little, uh, little, little secrets to training? 
I haven't done any of those. Those sound pretty interesting. I might I might try that out. Um, I, I was actually uh, kind of one of my training maybe quirks uh, or unique things. I was uh, originally inspired by by Dean Karnassus on our team and, and some of his books. Um, he kind of just goes everywhere on foot. Uh, and I've, I've taken that to heart, um, maybe to even extremes. So I haven't owned a car in years. Um, I, I go everywhere I can on foot. I don't have a bicycle even. Uh, so I'll, I'll go to business meetings um, with a backpack with a suit in it. Um, and as, as long as I think the people I'm going to meet with are cool, that I show up maybe a, a little bit sweaty. Um, and then I, you know, ask them where I can change into my suit and stuff like that and roll it up and, and go home. The, my partner that I, I, um, currently with, I ran to my first date and back. So, um, grocery shopping, I like to, uh, take a bunch of grocery bags and, uh, I live about, um, maybe three and a half miles away from the grocery and we live on a top of a really big hill. Uh, so I'll, I'll run down to the grocery and stock up with literally as much as I can carry with a backpack and a couple of really big bags. And then I'll, I'll do arm curls as I go up the hill and my neighbors think we're absolutely bonkers, but I'm in really good shape. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought, you know, it, it, it's about adapting. One thing you brought up um, about your partner running to, to your first date, what do your friends and family think about this addiction you've got to just running, walking everywhere and just always being upright? Well, to my face, everybody's been pretty positive. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's maybe grumbles that have maybe gone off the deep end a couple of times, uh, when, with some of the things, you know, um, you know, like, uh, you know, running across Panama, running across the United States, uh, and, you know, things like that, flying to Australia during a pandemic to run, run away, you know? um, so, uh, so there's plenty of things that we've done that have been kind of extreme, but in the, and, uh, I think for the most part, uh, it's encouraging and inspiring. I, I joke about it, but I, I do think, um, you know, most people need to go out and, and move and maybe we do take it to extremes, but uh, I think it's a, uh, it's better to do too much of something than most of both the United States and Australia are doing too much and not enough. So that's, that, that's interesting. Um, I picked up on one of the points that you mentioned there, Shan, when you said that you ran across Panama, I've uh, run the length of Panama as part of my pole-to-pole -pole run, and I'll never forget getting close to the bridge there in Panama City, uh, and out of the forest, out of the forest, onto the highway, came a sloth, which I'd never seen outside of, uh, you know, a, a Walt Disney program or something uh, in a cartoon. Uh, and all the traffic stopped, and everybody got out of their cars to watch this thing very slowly walk across the road to the other side into the into the jungle um and then hearing you say that prompted me about all of the things that you were saying during the course of this 1000 miles to light run about you just seem to attract animals <laughs> like you have seen things on this journey that 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 the rest of us haven't seen you've come you, you know especially the other day you saw a wild dog come and take a kangaroo carcass and pull it through a fence out onto a private property you saw you saw a, a huge uh, well you could describe it better than me i was going to say goanna but you would call it a big lizard tell us about <laughs> that day tell us about what happened oh and, it, and it's been actually the entire trip that i've i've been here i i've i uh, i saw a sea lion uh on one of my runs along and 
just some giant snake, and I don't know the names of any of them. So the sea lion was at a beach on the central coast yeah. when just straight after you got out of quarantine, yeah. you were dying after being in quarantine for two weeks in a hotel in Sydney and being forced into that position and having to train in your room on a treadmill. Then you finally escaped, you finally got out, and you got a little bit of freedom before you started this event, and you went for a run along the beach on the central coast, and you come across a sea lion, which most locals simply wouldn't even get the chance to see, which was amazing. You seem to be... The animal magnet. Animal <laughs> whisperer. The animal yeah. whisperer. Yeah. Well, maybe. I think it helps that I run in really weird places. It was along the trail <laughs> that nobody ever runs. I almost tripped on that sea lion and that snake. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. well, I mean, for an American coming here to, to Singleton, it's just extraordinary to see the kangaroos bouncing. It, I, I just can't get over it. Like... I've been surrounded by them. It was like magical and stuff. It was fun. <laughs> it's yeah, so fun. It's pretty cool. But, it but pretty cool. Uh, there was one scary moment. Um, seeing a, what was the what's the lizard called? Oh, I goanna. Goanna. It's something like that. Some big thing. Uh, it was you know at least a meter, maybe more long, climbing up a tree, and uh, and then the next next moment I hear footsteps coming at me really fast, and I turn around and it's a really big dog running at me. Uh, and which, you know, made me run really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I was screaming and yelling and, and he stopped just, just short and, and, uh, kind of went the other way. Uh, and then I made me understand why that goanna was, was going up a tree. He yeah. was obviously getting away from, from he, something. He and then the very dog. next day saw the same dog carrying a, carrying, carrying a kangaroo, which was right through the woods, right at me again. And I'm like, gosh, I can't get away from this thing. That's just an walk. average day in Australia, isn't it? When you go running. <laughs> yeah. it, seems, it seems to be a shame. <laughs> So Pat, um, on what uh, backing up to what uh, what Sean was saying, you've been on the road most of your life. Yep, you're away from family, friends, loved ones, and you're you're alone with your own thoughts, which is which is a bizarre concept. What advice would you give people that wanted to step up from marathon or middle distance and go to ultras about managing time, managing responsibilities, and, mm. and sharing that passion? Well, look, I think one of the great things about ultra marathons is that. This world is really not that big a place after all. I've run the length of the world, basically, from the North Pole to the South Pole. I've run Lebanon, Jordan, Israel and Palestine. I've run the length of Vietnam, the length of India, around Australia, across Australia, top to bottom of Australia, across America, top to bottom of the whole of the Americas. And so, and so many other countries, Japan, throughout Asia, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so this long distance running has opened up opportunities for me to be able to meet people, to be able to see them in their own home environment, to be able to support them uh, in their own works, uh, especially through organisations like UNICEF and uh, uh, the International Red Cross, Lifeline, in this case Reach Out, which uh, deals specifically in mental health issues for young people, uh, and so many other different charities. So I've been able to support those people. In India, I ran for girls' education and supported uh, or raised funds for that cause. In Egypt, it was another cause altogether. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's enriched my life and it's gave, given me the opportunity to be able to see places to do things that you could never dream about normally. Um, uh, but I think that's the same with um, with all sports. Once you get to an elite level, you have the opportunities to travel the world and to do different things. The thing I like about ultra running is you're able to get inside your head. It's not about speed, it's about distance. 
and that's the key. The smaller events are all about speed and how fast you can get from point A to point B. Uh, whereas with the ultras, it's about trying to show that the human body can go day after day after day after day after day. And as Shan quite rightly said, you know, like he, he gets around without having a motor vehicle. Um, uh, you know, so, so we can survive without all the automation that we, we take for granted in this world. Uh, and so when you start to rely on your own self, uh, the human mechanics of the human body and the power of the mind, it opens up incredible opportunities for you. Well, there we have it. Well, and I'd say just to, to add to that, it, it, you don't get to Pat's place uh, overnight. <laughs> it takes, a, takes yeah. a lot of practice, but it is just running. And, and running is just one step after another, and you just have to go a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further, and pretty soon you're doing some pretty incredible things. Uh, and so uh, it's um, just go do that. Um, and if you're in your question about, you know, if you're a runner already and how do you move up to ultras, like just be upright, uh, all day, uh, or just be out moving all day, uh, and, and try to make most of that moving forward. And, uh, there, you just did an ultra and then, and then you can kind of move it, move it up from there. Um, you know, and then, you know, within, you know, a few months you can be crossing continents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, there, there, you know, there's one thing that I, I, I really want to get across in this podcast that I really want to say, and it's this, and I've said this to my own children. In fact, people are all the time looking for leaders. They're looking for someone to show them the way, someone with the grit and the determination to have a vision for something and to see it through to the end. Uh, we've experienced that with this particular event. We had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle just putting the event on and getting to the starters line and taking the first step was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and I know... For the American runners to have to go on a quarantine for two weeks to uh, top up their training on a treadmill, uh, not to have windows that open in the hotel room, not to have a balcony, not to have the fresh air and have to rely on hotel food brought in, packaged food brought into them for that period of time when they're elite athletes. It's incredibly difficult, but I've never, haven't heard a complaint out of any of them. They've been incredibly supportive. And that's the sort of leadership that I'm talking about, that they had a dream. They wanted to come to Australia. They wanted to compete in this event. They wanted to help reach out. They wanted to help youth mental health. And they wanted to help themselves by progressing their own lives, their own careers by running in another country. And they're here and they're doing it. They're here and they're doing it. Uh, and so many other people would use all of those things I've just mentioned as excuses not to do anything. That's true leadership. And we need more of that in this world. Isn't that the truth? So what I've uh, gained from this is, is two very significant things. Dreams do come true, but you've got to start by putting your foot outside the door. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, amazing discussions from two very, very diverse individuals. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us, and we'll see you down the road.